Where exactly would you rank this in the pantheon of Bill Paxton movies? Pretty, <laughs> pretty high up there or what? You're referring to the time when I said that Sam Neill was the rich man's Bill Paxton? I believe, yes. <laughs> you compared the two of them together, which is absurd. They don't look anything alike or sound anything alike or do any of the same things. Yeah, I don't know why I conflated those two. Obviously, Sam Neill to me is Jurassic Park. Sure, right, yeah, he's like, most well known for. And I don't think I had a place for Bill Paxton before we started doing this. There's always a place for Bill Paxton, let's be honest here. <laughs> well, obviously, he's sort of grown um, on me as we sort of recorded uh, our first season there. Yeah, well, you'd have to. I mean, come on. He's just <laughs> so great at playing sleazeball. Uh, but none of him today, just Sam Neill, I'm afraid. Welcome to Bad Movies and Beer. I'm Cooper. And I'm Nolan. And today, this is maybe going to be another controversial one. We're talking about Event Horizon. We haven't done a lot of sort of horror. There's a little bit of horror, but this is sort of like space sci-fi Sci-fi horror, horror yeah. Yeah, this is sort of one of the first times I can think of us doing a movie like this. Maybe not a terrible movie. We're going to get to our ratings later on, but I know this is a lot of people really like this and a lot of people kind of think that this was like an overlooked because it kind of bombed at the box office, right? Like that maybe this was kind of a, like a not bad in terms of production, just bad in terms of performance. So, you know. It's interesting. Um, Very early in this movie and actually throughout a lot of it, I was quite enthralled enjoying it. I thought there was some decent cinematography, some good sound and music effects. It does sort of come off the rails for me and we'll get to that as we go through and of course as always we will be drinking a themed beer and you know we've had some close calls before where i'm like hard to get one more accurate than this for a connection but this is just i mean literally (laughs) yeah so sometimes we we kind of stretch it to make the theme of the movie and the beer fit together but today was quite easy. We are going to be drinking Event Horizon. <laughs> the beer is literally called Event Horizon. That one was a slam dunk. It even has a sweet picture of sort of a circle that looks sort of like a, a black hole or kind of looks like some of the stuff that we see in the movie. And this is from Halo Brewery in Toronto, Ontario. Yeah, um, a very popular brewery known by many people in the area. Not really my style, though. I don't do a lot of stuff that I enjoy. And I can tell you right now, I'm not looking forward to this one. <laughs> That's super funny. Um, I love Halo. It is one of my favorites. Uh, I've been to it a couple times uh, in person, and uh, they're just sort of a small uh, brew shop. They have uh, a really creative team that makes uh, beers that I love. Uh, this one's kind of special because it's a stout that is brewed with sarsaparilla. So that's sort of the it's the root beer thing, right? Yeah, the root beer uh, flavoring. So fuck. I'm I'm excited to try it. We haven't drank a lot of stouts on here. We kind of stick to a lot of. Pilsners. We had a lot of honey browns. We've had you, quite a few IPAs. a lot of IPAs on me. Yeah. yeah. Sours. So, so I'm excited to do something a little bit different today. Um, and we'll talk about sort of how we feel about it at the end of the movie. Yeah. I think we should get into it, though. Let's get this shit over with. <laughs> it's going to be delicious. So we open with the Paramount Pictures logo, which transitions into a view of outer space with some tense music. There's some sort of a spiral wormhole type effect that we end up heading towards. The credits kind of zoom into the wormhole. And I have to say, like, expecting a full-blown horror movie, this is already tonally, like, way different than what I thought this was. Yeah, it's it sounds very industrial. I'm getting sort of... I was, it sounded like a Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> oh, the music is so 90s for this. Yeah. yeah. It's really like yeah. late 90s. Yeah. Well, and the movie kind of finishes with Prodigy, I think. Uh, is that I, who it was? Yeah, I, I think it's a so Prodigy too. song I, yeah. at the end that finishes. So that kind of, that pulled me in, right? I was into that <laughs> stuff. So I, I like the mood that's being set really quickly. As the man who owns more 90 CDs than any human being on earth. It's possible. I might own them all. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> Uh, speaking of dates, we get some dates here very quickly. We find out that in 2015, the first permanent colony is established in the moon. 2032, commercial mining begins on Mars. 2040, deep space research vessel Event Horizon launches to explore the boundaries of the solar system, but she disappears without a trace beyond the eighth planet, Neptune. It is the worst space disaster on record, so take that, Challenger Explosion. <laughs> don't know where to go from there. No, it just seems to I me guess, like, you know. Yeah, I mean. They're not yeah. dead. The people in the Challenger were dead. That to me seems worse because you know they're dead. Well, I think the assumption with the Event Horizon is that everyone was gone and dead. But 
Yes. Um, what was interesting to me was that very first point, too. The 2015 a colony has been created on the moon. I know. I love when sci-fi shoots for like what at the time seemed like a possible mark, and they just completely miss it. Yeah, and we're not anywhere near that at this point, oh, it feels no. like. So it's it's kind of funny when you, when you date those kind of things. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. So we have the event horizon go missing at 2040, and it puts us to 2047, seven yeah, years that's, later. That's the now, it says. Uh, we get a CG asteroid just whooshing past. We see a spaceship floating in orbit around a stormy-looking planet. Inside the ship, many CG objects are floating around, along with a skinned body, and it screams. And we zoom into his mouth and out from the eye of Sam Neill. It's a pretty cool transition, actually. I like that transition between uh, scenes there. This is sort of the start of where there's lots of events that appear to be hallucinations or dreams. And sometimes it's hard to grasp right away whether it's reality or not. And I think that's an intentional to try to sort of keep you on your toes throughout. Did you know that it wasn't Bill Paxton when he was staring forlornly at that picture of his wife? No. That's not a Bill no, Paxton no. move. Sleazy Bill Paxton would not. He'd have like a picture of like just some t- on his thing. <laughs> <laughs> so it does sort of show him very early looking at a picture of his wife. This is a theme in Bad Movies and Beer. A lot of our protagonist characters have a longing for a lost loved one. There's a lot of damaged relationships in these movies. Yeah. Now, just in case anyone can't figure out how he's feeling, he says, I miss you out loud. They're just fucking spawning out for us. Gotta love it. He's on the space station Daylight orbiting Earth, but he's quickly summoned the Lewis and Clark, a search and rescue vessel with a top secret mission that was docked at the station. They're going out in search of the event horizon, but the crew isn't exactly excited about that. This is where we meet Captain Miller, Larry Fishburne, tells him to quit complaining. They've got their orders. They know how this works. I have a question about the ship name, Lewis and Clark. Go for it. Is that a reference to... They're explorers, right? Right? It is. Yeah. That's just the idea is that it's a message for like they're exploring outer reaches of space. 100%. Now, Sam Neill is on board, but he is getting kind of a frosty reception from the captain. Before we can delve too far into that, we get a bit of sci-fi world building when they have to put crew members into gravity tanks to prevent their skeletons from being liquefied when the ion cannons fire. (laughs) Yeah, it's there's a lot of I actually feel like they do a pretty good job of building a believable sci-fi reality. Um, Definitely for the first three quarters of this movie. There's obviously things that you could question very quickly, and depending on your knowledge of physics, you could dismiss immediately. But I felt like they do a good job of explaining it to an average audience, right, in terms of that sci-fi connection. See, to me, this felt like they were just, like, checking things on a list, though. Like, this was, like, this one sentence was just, like, quickly, let's mention, like, eight or nine different sci-fi things so we can gain some credibility with the fucking (laughs) nerd contingent. That's fair. It does feel like Sam Neill's character. That's kind of all he does for the first third of the movie, right? Yes. Uh, Now, they go in these tanks into suspended animation. We get a dream sequence. Sam Neill hears a familiar voice. He exits the tank and goes looking for her he finds his wife naked sitting on one of the chairs of the bridge she says i'm waiting and she's got no eyes which is going to be another recurring thing in this movie and just side note super fucking creepy for some reason <laughs> things with no eyes just like terrifying to me i actually wrote down that this scene was super creepy as well so yeah i felt that same experience the the eyeless person waiting for him was interesting this is sort of the second time he has kind of a weird dream related to things that are happening on the ship and You're kind of wondering if he's unstable based on that relationship or if there's something else going on here. Well, after we get a quick jump scare, someone grabs him from behind. He wakes up screaming in the tank, but they shrug this off as standard gravity tank disorientation. To your point, I'm thinking like maybe not. Mind you, I also have the benefit of having seen like the previews for this movie. So I'm like, there's weird (laughs) shit happening. You know, easy to write that off immediately. At that time, we we get another crew member throwing down uh, a good sex joke. Yes, this is, uh, you mentioned we're meeting the rest of the crew. We get a quick go around of what everyone else does, except for the one you're talking about. His name is Cooper. I love that, by the way. Of no course, relation, the, I don't think. Yeah, the sort of pervy guy in the ship is named Cooper. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, like, earlier was aggressively flirting with one of the women on the ship and was offering people coffee and asked her, how would you like something hot and black inside you? <laughs> like, innuendo much? Come on. Yeah, that's just straight up, yeah. Yeah, very much so. Uh, it's also time for the crew to figure out exactly what their mission is. Turns out they were supposed to be on leave, which explains the general level of disgruntledness. Sure enough, they are there to rescue the event horizon. Now, if you were on this ship, would you believe that it was still out there seven years later? Well, everything they've heard is that it has disappeared or it's gone or it's been destroyed. And I think they also suggest that other ships that have went to look for it have had some pretty bad things happen to them. So I would not be excited about going after this ship. Yeah, we learn about the ship at this point. 
Turns out it has the ability to travel at light speed, kind of. What it actually does is create a dimensional gateway that makes traveling between two places instantaneous. So more nerd talk for the sci-fi people. And this is Sam Neill going off again. He he basically describes it as folding space itself and putting a hole between two places. He demonstrates it by folding a picture of a naked lady and putting a hole through the... Yeah, the person whose poster it was was not happy. That would have been Bill Paxton. If Bill Paxton had been in this movie, that would have been him. Hey, man, that's my my nudie mag. Uh, So Dr. Sam Neill is the guy who designed this ship, and he attempts to explain this with kind of like mixed results. Singularity. Layman's terms. Well, fuck layman's terms. Do you speak English? He's me in this movie. Like, not like me, literally. Not, like, yeah. Like, I, I'm like, this is like, come on, man. Let's get the sci-fi stuff out of the way. Let's get to the horror stuff. Stop world building. I'm enjoying some of the explanations. I'm one of those people who does want it to make sense to me. So I'm okay with some of that as we're, we're going through. Um, after he sort of explains this stuff, he also shares with them a really creepy transmission. Yes. It was the only transmission received from the ship before they lost contact. And basically, it's a bunch of screaming and demon sounds. We also hear that if they can successfully pull off this rescue, it would be the first time ever this far away from Earth. All other attempts have resulted in the loss of both ships. So uh, the crew, not exactly optimistic. Luckily, that horrific recording is going to put them at ease. All the, <laughs> all the fucking screaming and demon sounds. Yeah, and it's funny because Weir does not seem worried at all. I feel really strange about um, Sam Neill's character right here because... Like, everyone else is kind of concerned, and he's just so excited to be going to the ship. It's To me, he has a motivation beyond trying to rescue people who are there. Like, it seems to me like the ship is his baby in a way, right? Like, he, he needs to go and know what happened to it and figure it out. Oh, yeah, there's a the lure there for sure. He's got some connection, and he's operating on a different level than everybody else. Now, aside from the screaming and horrific sounds, there's maybe some Latin in there. One guy on the ship whose name is DJ, he recognizes the phrase, save me. And, uh, yeah, I would feel just fucking great about being on this mission. It sounds good. It's a win. <laughs> you know that this is going to get dark, right? You're going to a place and you can tell that something really bad happened on the event horizon. So, yeah, I'd be very nervous about that. I'd definitely sort of make sure I didn't fall into any horror movie tropes. Yeah, yeah, none of those, no. We get right to it from there. They approach the ship through some stormy space weather, I guess. And when they find it, its name is all lit up like a billboard. You know, in case they confused it with some other giant ship floating around Neptune. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Come and on. And they have this sort of dramatic, like, space dorm kind of entry. Um, to make it feel like, oh, they're going to crash at the very last second. I, I also noted here, because I thought it was hilarious. So they're all kind of in their stations on the, the sort of part of the ship where they control everything. And the captain's chair is this hilarious thing that, like, swings around and hides from the Yeah, top. that comes into play later for sure. Yeah, I just, I thought it was a funny choice at this moment when I'm here. And it, it does come into play after, right, to help add some drama. Um, but I just thought that was a hilarious decision. Like, everything else is locked into the ground and the captain's ship is, or captain's chair is kind of spinning. It's the fucking the Star Trek, like, Captain Kirk swivel, essentially. It's very much, like, it feels like they borrowed a little bit of that yeah. to build this sort of bridge. So they scan for life forms on the event horizon and they pick some up but they can't get an exact location, which is weird. So they're going to board the ship. Now, Sam Neill is desperate to be a part of that, but Captain Fishburne wants him to stay on the bridge. They have a quick little dick measuring contest there. The captain gets his way and Sam Neill has to stay on the bridge and talk them through the boarding. Now he does this and they discover a few things. For example... A ton of explosive devices designed to split the ship in half in the event of emergency, which will obviously come into play later. (laughs) Yes, you can tell that they're still working and active because they have blinking lights. Yep, they have to let you know this is going to be a thing. They definitely talk about it. This is where they get on the ship. I think only three of the crew head on there to go explore it, and they decide immediately to split up. Classic, yep. What the fuck? You know what? But I think in this case, I'm kind of okay with this because... Nothing really comes of it, and they're doing this in a way to build tension because we we watch this, we recognize this is the dumbest thing you can do, horror movie trope, someone's going to get picked off and murdered, and so we are like, we become this kind of like, when's it going to happen? Like, it, it kind yeah. of catches the No, it is true. It, like, it definitely built tension. It definitely made me more interested to see what would happen. It just, it baffles me that people would make that choice on a ship where they heard, like, demonic horror sounds and save me. Yeah, maybe stick together. Also, do any of them have, like, weapons? Did anyone bring, like, a gun? Like, anything? They're just kind of walking through there, like, by themselves. I don't know. No, they're wearing their spacesuits. They've got these really cool lights that also scan for life signals and things in there. I thought that was kind of neat. I like that science sci-fi that they put in there. 
Yeah, we also uh, see some other things that they fan out throughout the ship. We see kind of like a spinning meat grinder looking tunnel for traveling between containment levels. There's evidence of a coolant leak of some kind, and there's also a shit ton of blood, gore, and skulls that one lady completely misses because she's distracted by a tiny bit of blood on the counter. That's fucking hilarious to me. She's like, oh, I got that little blood, guys. And you see behind her, it's just fucking like gore all over the walls. <laughs> yeah, That's this is in the bridge, right? And you see like... Yeah, the skeletons and blood and gore sort of stuck to the top of the ship. And we do find out that it's really cold on there, so it's kind of all frozen. It's funny that she's walking around that captain's room, and she goes to look for the log, right? They yep. they tell her to go there, and she hits the button, and what pops out? I have no clue. I like, don't remember. Like a fucking CD. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, at that time, the, the log is a disc, like a CD or DVD or Blu-ray or whatever you... And I'm just like, oh my goodness, that would not be the case in 2040. Well, again, it's, no, there is guesswork. They thought yeah. we'd be on the moon like six years ago. But then we'd still be using CDs to record shit. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good point. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, we also get a couple of jump scares in here. First, there's a floating glove that frightens Captain Fishburne, and then a mangled corpse, which, much like the woman in Samuel's dream, is missing its eyes. Very suspicious. Now I'm kind of like, is he predicting this? Is there actually some kind of connection here where he's being transported, like visions of whatever? It was funny the way they cut these, because I actually felt more scared or stressed out in the jump scare with Fishburne. Okay, you're more invested in Fishburne. I don't know. The glove scared me. And then the the other one where this corpsicle like floated across towards her. I don't know. I don't know if it was just the way it was cut or the way that the acting was performed. But I was more scared by the first rather than the latter. Fishburne's a much, much better actor than whoever that lady is. No offense to her. So this is about the time where stuff starts feeling weird to me, right? And this is where Weir wants to get back on the ship. That's uh, Sam Neill's character. And I start questioning, I'm like, is he evil? And is this ship, like, alive and has a relationship with him? This starts coming to me at this point. Yeah, that's kind of what I was wondering earlier. Now, there's a different guy in this boarding party who, I don't know the answer to this. Maybe you know the answer to this. His name is Justin. That's his last name. Okay, so I was going to say, I thought it was his first name, but then they call him Mr. Justin later. Have you ever heard of anyone with the last name Justin? <laughs> no. No. You're right. But yeah, it was his last name for sure. Uh, either way, he finds the gravity core and is getting some weird readings from it. Suddenly, the ship loses contact with him, and the gravity core opens up, revealing some kind of black liquid. When he reaches out to touch it, it pulls him in, and shit starts going down. Cooper quickly springs into action to rescue him, and while he's doing that, there's a weird surge that knocks Captain Fishburne down and causes a whole bunch of equipment explosions and a hull breach on the Lewis and Clark. We're right into the action. Yeah, this is a really dramatic scene, and it happens really fast. We're kind of in this interesting exploration mode where they're off and they're trying to figure stuff out. He gets to this really interesting room, which we learn is sort of the place where you're able to fold space, but it opens up a portal on his own, and he gets sucked in, like you say, and then, yes... All of a sudden, we go from this sort of calm, searching, tense moment to explosions and shit hitting the fan. Uh, It was interesting that that sort of shock that came out of it knocked everyone down, but then really fucked up the Lewis and Clark. In fact, they even have to get everybody off of it in the Event Horizon. That ship is fucked. So they jump on board the Event Horizon, like you said. Unfortunately, in addition to having no radio, which means they have no way to call for help, they've only got enough breathable air for 20 hours, so they need to scramble to repair the Lewis and Clark. While this is going on, Cooper tries to explain what he saw when he saved Justin, the open gravity drive and the dark liquid, but Sam Neill says it's impossible because the drive was off and couldn't open the gateway itself. Now, he says this, but his facial expressions at different times during this whole disaster make me think he knows something that he is not telling everybody. Well, in in Lawrence Fishburne, I think it's Nelson is his character name, um, definitely sort of catches on to this, right? He calls him out for it. He says, you're hiding shit, right? You, you know more than you're letting on. And it's interesting here, this is where it's really compounding our kind of beliefs that Weir is in on this, right? Like he's, he almost seems to be trying to let the ship or the thing do what it wants to do, and he really wants to find out what's going to happen. Yeah, and to your point, Lawrence Fisherman calls him on it. He's like, this is, you know, something's going on here. He has a bullshit excuses, Sam Neill does. He says that, you know, either Mr. Justin is delusional or that what he saw was an optical illusion caused by gravity distortion. When he kind of presses him on it, Sam Neill is like, uh, it's complicated, but then they won't take no for an answer. He explains that he created a black hole to get the power to create the gateway, but uh, it's perfectly safe. And it seems like it, yeah. It seems like everything's fine. <laughs> like, 
he knows it's not fucking safe. No. And he doesn't give a fuck. He wants to, he's evil, man. He, well, I don't know if he's evil, but he, he is a scientist without ethics, right? There's no morals here. He just wants to see what his cool space bending ship he can do. He is so good for that ship. He just fucking loves it. Captain Lawrence Fishburne points out his ship is all jacked up. One of his crewmen might not wake up. But as soon as he says he might not wake up, we get a bit of eye activity for Mr. Justin. Right as that happens, the doctor in the room with him also starts hearing a strange kind of like scraping, hissing sound. It's coming from underneath a tarp. And when she lifts it, she sees a kid. He says, mommy, and his legs are covered in open wounds. Jump scare. This is one of the crew members, though. <laughs> yeah, there's like, a lot yeah. of jump scares in this. Um, I had seen this once before. So this is my second time watching it. And I had remembered several jump scares. So you know when you kind of prepare yourself for yeah, them? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't feel the same way. But I thought the building of the creepiness and the way they delivered them was pretty interesting. I, I started asking, like, what's causing these hallucinations? How are they all doing this? And also, why are they putting themselves in places where they're alone still? I know they got to take care of Mr. Justin, but they got to figure out, like, a buddy <laughs> system here <laughs> mr justin i know it's such a weird and he's like Damn. a young kid too right like he's their sort of engineering guy but he's got to be early 20s or something so calling him mr justin sounds even more ridiculous it does yeah uh either way this was all an illusion uh they access the ship's final log now this seems quite pleasant till right at the very end where there's some distortion and what clearly sounds like people screaming they're going to analyze this footage some more, but they're interrupted by two things. A power drain, which seems to be coming from the core, and uh, Mr. Justin having some kind of seizure and coming too long enough to warn the crew that the dark is coming. Creepy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is weird. It's hard for him to describe it, right? But he he's basically communicating to them that their worst nightmares are on their way. Yeah. Sam Neill goes to check some kind of circuit board, but suddenly he hears something strange. First a sound then his name, and finally, as the lights begin to flicker off and on, his eyeless wife is back, saying, be with me forever. At the same time, a flaming, fiery body rises from the gravity core right in front of Captain Fishburne. The body opens its eyes, but does nothing. So these hallucinations are just spreading, man. Everyone's seeing them. They're all being impacted by them. Uh, something's going on with them. I don't know if it's sort of the lack of oxygen they're getting in this ship. Is it the ship itself? What's, what's happening here? It's conference time. Captain and the doctor share their hallucinations, but Sam Neill keeps his to himself. He doesn't want to tell anybody, which, again, I'm like, what is this fucking guy up to? <laughs> He's got his own agenda, and it is not protecting the people on this ship. Now, the crew starts coming unglued here, as even the members who haven't hallucinated can tell that something fucked up is going on. One crew member, Stark, she's the British lady who uh, Cooper was hitting on earlier, has a theory. The energy readings and the hallucinations are linked. The ship is reacting to the crew being on board, kind of like an immune system, because the ship brought something back with it, a life force, which my immediate thought was, how great would it be if this was a sequel to Life Force <laughs> and the sexy space vampire showed up? I'm like, oh my God, that'd be great. Oh my, if it transitioned that way, yeah, we, we're still waiting for that Life Force sequel. And this, yeah. this would have been great if oh, that's yeah, where I it went. That. I, it was interesting when she put forward that point because he was willing to listen to the other people's perspectives, but Fishburne fucking shits all over her for that perspective. <laughs> like he doesn't even consider it. And I'm just like, what is happening here? She's sort of second in command on this. This ship and he just shits all over he even tells her that she's doing nothing right like i i was i thought it was funny that she kind of had figured it out and then he just crapped all over her even though he's willing to believe other people's sort of weird hallucinations and stories don't know no respect for stark who gained respect for her by the end of this movie spoilers either way back in the medical bay mr justin has gone missing the doctor hears a banging sound coming from a door marked biohazard but before she can investigate there's an explosion from the roof and sparks rain down on her she freaks out and runs, but it turns out nobody heard anything until the banging sound starts again on the bridge. Now Sam Neill, who suddenly is looking full-blown crazy, says open the door to nobody in particular and starts walking towards it, but uh, Stark subdues him. Thank goodness. Yeah, this is really strange, and I felt that this was kind of unexplained too. I guess the explanation for it is it was a hallucination. Right. But so much of when you're watching this movie, it's hard to tell what's really happening to them and what is something that's just happening sort of in all of their heads. But this seemed to me like the first shared hallucination. Yeah, I'm always kind of wondering if this like having a hard time tracking what's real and not what's not real. Like it's good for building tension, but I kind of wonder if that's why this sort of underperformed at the box office. I wonder if people were kind of like, I can't track this shit and just bailed because they're lazy. It just made it didn't make immediate sense. So they didn't want to put forth the effort. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. 
Uh, suddenly, there's an alert from the forward airlock. Mr. Justin is in there, and he's not wearing a spacesuit. He's going to blast himself out into the cold vacuum of space. Captain Fishburne's on the way to rescue him, and the doctor tries to talk him down, but he asks her, Did you hear it? Yes, I heard it. Do you know what it is? It shows you things. Horrible things. His description is creepy, but this scene confirms my suspicions from earlier. This dude is not a good actor. Mr. Justin <laughs> is not. He's not young. strong. He's young. Uh, he's just getting into the game, I think, probably, right? Well, he's no Lawrence Fishburne. I'll tell you that right no. now. She, uh, she tells Mr. Justin to open the door, the inner door, of course. And for a second, it seems like he might, but then his finger slides over to the outer door button, which is, like, hilarious to me. Like, he's actually, like, reaching towards the inner door and just decides to pivot over. Yeah, God he, damn it. Whatever he saw or experienced going through that portal really fucked him up and doesn't want to experience it again. So he's going to end it by opening up the door and getting sucked into the vacuum of space. But this is a very lengthy process. In every other movie you see in space, they open the outer door, he's like immediately sucked out. He presses the button, he immediately starts screaming. But that's strange because the door isn't going to open for 25 seconds. It's interesting because he's sort of, what seems to happen is it's almost like he's under the control of something else when he hits it and then he goes to a moment of clarity. He realizes like he kind of regains himself and he realizes that he doesn't want it all to end right now and it's too late because he's hit that button. Yeah, he kind of does go back to normal and, uh, you know, good for him, I guess, but that door is going to open. Now, we get some pretty bad effects here as the blood starts pouring out of his eyes and like he slowly floats out into space as the door opens up. I was like, this looks fake as shit. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because there's this idea, right? If you don't have your compression suit or you're not in the space station, if you go out into the vacuum of space, yeah, you're going to basically explode. What's um, like kind of ridiculous? Well, it is it is a ridiculous scene. So he starts getting sucked out into space. His veins start sort of coming out of his body. His eyes explode. And his captain maneuvers his way through space, catches him in midair and brings him back into the spot where he can close it out. He doesn't die. He doesn't explode. It's not <laughs> Apparently he's going to be okay, but it sure did not look like that. He looks real bad. It he's got a long bad. road back yeah. is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Now, uh, Captain Lawrence Fishburne is hot about this whole situation. He demands answers from Sam Neill. He tries to blame the strange noises on thermal changes in the hull, which caused the metal to expand and contract. Bullshit, says Fishburne. He actually says bullshit <laughs> like that. Uh, but it's starting to look like Sam Neill might not really know what's going on after all. To be fair, I don't think very many scientists would come up with my gravity core opened a literal gateway to hell as a hypothesis. That seems like a bridge too far for a lot of men of science. I agree, but it does seem like he has a relationship with the ship. Like, I think those hallucinations of his wife seem to me or are starting to convince me that it's the ship talking to him. Right, They're using his sort of memories to try to communicate or build that relationship. Like Mr. Justin said, it shows you the most like terrifying things, right? It knows your secrets. And he wants to know more, right? Like most people, I think, would want to run from that shit, as Justin tried to do or end it. Uh, but Weir seems intrigued. Like he has to follow this through. That's really a testament to how good a scientist he is. That's a, <laughs> seriously, that's a scientist mindset. They want to know that shit. They want to yeah. know what's going on. Well, it also serves a testament to scientists being willing to cross all kinds of ethical boundaries to do what they want to find out. What's funny is he was so against that practice in Jurassic Park. Yes, you're right. <laughs> was he? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. He was. Yeah, he, he was not willing to cross. Or actually, was he willing to cross it? But it was, uh, it was what's his name's character who wasn't willing to no, cross it. No, I think it was. I think the old man had already crossed it. And he oh, was yeah. Against it. yeah. You're right. Old man had definitely crossed it. But to me, it was the fly. Uh, Jeff Goldblum? Yeah, Jeff Goldblum was the one who wanted to stop that practice right he was the, the one who went oh, yeah i'm sorry that's uh, god damn it yeah god help us declares fishburn after hallucinating the voice of a young crewman he lost on a mission from his younger days that was the guy who got out of the uh the pit in the fucking gravity chamber earlier now see he's never told anyone this before about the young crewman but the ship knew it knows their secrets it knows their fears he tells this to dj the guy who caught the latin in that horrifying transition from earlier now it turns out that dj has a secret too uh, he got the translation wrong. He thought it said, save me, but actually it said, save yourself. Not only that, it said, uh, save yourself from hell. Whoops. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's not really a mistake you want. I mean, it's not it's really about as bad fault. as you could possibly botch that. Yeah. yeah, they were coming anyway. So like maybe it's better. They didn't know what they were going to face. But it's at this point where I'm like, they need to fucking explode this shit with themselves on it. 
Like, there's no getting out of here. Like, I know that that's not the solution that any of those people want. But if you really want to save humanity, you got to fucking torch this motherfucker right now. Well, but hang on. Right then, they're interrupted by Cooper, who tells them they're ready to repressurize the Lewis and Clark. They are getting out of there. But you shouldn't. Like, you know that this ship is fucked. It is causing a whole bunch of problems. You got to at least explode the event horizon. Well, sure. And I think that's what Captain Lawrence Fishburne wants to do. Sam Neill is not on board with that, obviously. They should be good to go in about 20 minutes. Uh, But first, before that happens, we get more footage from the ship's logs. And this is what I would describe as a gorgy. It's people like attacking, killing, eating each other. Now, I think I saw some sex in there, maybe a little bit. Uh, and one guy holding what appears to be his own eyeballs ripped from his skull. Sounds like my honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, yeah, it goes by really fast. Like, there's not a lot to see, and there's a lot Thank of God. There's a lot of images. I actually looked up a little bit about the movie after I watched it, and there's a longer, much longer, much clearer extended cut of this scene. Yeah. It was removed. Um, it was shown to the sort of... Uh, higher ups the producers the people and they were just like what the fuck (laughs) i can't show this Um, yeah it's interesting i think fans of the genre and movie really wanted the this more of this in the original cut and they wanted more of the sort of graphicness but it wasn't uh i think palatable to the producers or executives so it's it's funny you mentioned this because we watched the beautiful shout factory version of this that came out just earlier this year and uh, a lot of people were hoping it was going to include the like original cut that you're talking about. They couldn't find it. The footage may be gone. But yes, the legends of this, of the like ridiculous gore factor, carry on still as you've clearly heard it. Either way, it is a gruesome, disgusting scene. It is very quick, but very, yeah, very traumatic. It's one of those where... You, you want to be ready for it almost. I wasn't ready for that to be what it was yeah. in a sense, right? Yeah. It's time to go at this point, but Dr. Sam Neill says, hang on, they have their orders. What about my ship? Now, Captain Lawrence yeah. Fishburne literally says, fuck this ship, <laughs> which is awesome. That's <laughs> <laughs> great. Yeah. Uh, but Sam Neill, again, in full-blown crazy mode, says, you can't leave. She won't let you. You just get your gear and get back on the Lewis and Clark doctor or you'll find yourself walking home. I am home. Fuck, man. That's so <laughs> creepy. Nailed that scene. Yeah, they do a good job in that scene, the two of them, for sure. It's He's gone. He's completely gone. We knew it was happening throughout, but he is just beyond saving. He's there with his ship, and uh, it's, it's everything he can do. Yep. Now, the crew is scrambling to get enough air canisters to breathe on the way home, and they've got enough but the doctor hallucinates her son again and runs back into the core. Once inside, she chases him around until she ends up on one of the higher levels where, after seeing her own death, she walks towards her son, falls into a hole, and dies exactly the same way she just saw. So, nice job, idiot. Yeah, I was angry. I was yelling at her and the screen while this was going on because it's clear that it was a hallucination. She should know this already. She knows her son's not on this fucking ship. So stop following all that bullshit and get yourself off. She had the oxygen tanks. The reason she was there is to get those oxygen cleaners or whatever so they could safely get home. And she just had to leave, but she didn't. It's at this point I'm like, is everyone going to die? Right? Is everyone going to have a gruesome hallucination death? Um, And I also had a question, like, was Claire, was um, the wife of Weir or Sam Neill, was she on this crew or ship was was my other Ah, question. I was curious, like, they hadn't answered sort of what her story was or why she was there. I was wondering if that's why he wouldn't leave, right? I mean, we do find out more about her, like, in a second. Now, Sam Neill, speaking of which, finds the body, looks concerned for a minute, and then immediately has another hallucination of his own. This is where we find out. It uh, turns out his wife killed herself because he was obsessed with his work and their marriage fell apart. Understandably, he feels guilty about this. So uh, less understandably, he rips out his own eyes. That's his, that's his reaction to this. I'm yeah. Like, well, in my research, I found out that there was also an extended scene of that. The both Does, the, does he really get in there? Is no, that the suicide that? and the eye rip, I think. Okay. I think it was more the explanation or suicide. There was more to that. But yeah, I thought that was interesting. So we find out that maybe he... Because the ship cost him so much, that's why he's so connected or can't leave it, right? It cost him his love. Still not what I would consider a normal reaction. I get that you feel bad. You might want to hurt yourself even, but to rip out your own eyes, 
pretty graphic. I that mean, was... we've seen the ship cause all kinds of people to do similar or other things. So I, yeah. I guess that's, you can clearly tell he's lost control and the ship is now in control of Weir's actions. That's the ship's move. The ship is like, yeah. everybody, eyes out. I Let's think so, yeah. yeah. They only want you to be able to see what they can put in your head. All right. It's my, yeah. my interpretation of the ship possessed by this sort oh, of Oh, God. Well, that being. comes up later, too, and I'm so excited for that part. Uh, according to Cooper, they're about two minutes away from departure, but just then, one of the crewmen named Smitty sees Dr. Sam Neill exiting the Lewis and Clark rather quickly. Turns out that one of the explosives from the event horizon is missing, and guess where the good doctor just put it? Now, Smitty finds it and flips it open just in time to see the timer reach five seconds. So it's so long, Lewis and Clark. The explosion effect is, like, surprisingly bad. Like, I did not expect it to be that terrible. <laughs> see, it didn't make an impact on me. I, I knew it was coming. Um, I was a little baffled why it didn't hurt the event horizon more. Which it is, like, connected to pretty yeah, much. Yeah, that, that sort of surprised me. I didn't notice how poor the sort of explosion was. It, it fit with sort of where I was feeling in the mood. But Okay, well, here's a better question, though. Because this, for me, this is the point where, for me, the movie starts to unravel quickly. Because... How the hell did Sam Neill get those explosives in the ship so fast? The motherfucker doesn't even have eyes. He doesn't need eyes, I guess, because the he's, ship he's, is helping him like do what he needs to do. I don't know. You're right. He's um, deep in the bowels of the event horizon. All of a sudden, he's fucking leaving the Lewis and Clark. He fucking teleported in there or something. Yeah, it's fucked up, right? It, it definitely is. Like, as we progress towards the end of the movie, it really starts to lose me. Like, we talked, at the, start, saying, yeah. we talked at the start about how maybe this wasn't a super bad movie. And I felt tonally, I felt the performances were good. I found the sound and music and even the sci-fi and science were believable enough, right? Like, for the first, I don't know, three quarters of this movie, I'm completely engaged and down. But it, it really starts to fall apart here after the explosion of the Lewis and Clark. And very shortly, we're going to have more of problematic shit yeah well uh cooper has been launched into space from this explosion now he's in a spacesuit. uh he figures his only shot to get back to the ship is to blow his air tank which apparently works i guess we'll find out later well we definitely find out later captain fishburn <laughs> hold on so this is this is really like, Don't, we'll get we'll get to it it's coming it's coming later it's ridiculous i agree but what does he yell as he lets out his air as he tries to try to fire himself off this piece of space floating away i honestly don't remember what was it here i come motherfuckers <laughs> made me think of you that's fair yeah, yeah. So they're scrambling. Captain Lawrence Fishburne tells DJ to keep an eye out for Weir. He grabs a knife, says, don't worry about Weir. I'll take care of him. And then immediately gets killed by Weir. <laughs> Just fucking, he jinxed himself right away. Yeah, he turns around to immediately get choked oh, and lifted. Yeah. Like Weir grabs him, sort of tosses him around, kills him, and then guts him and hangs him from the ceiling. Well, we see that in a minute. With the status of Cooper unknown, this is pretty much all down to Lawrence Fishburne at this point. Except I was like, side note, is Stark dead? What happened to Stark? Like, I, she just wasn't there at all. I wrote down the same question. She's just missing. Like, we haven't heard from her in a while. Well, we immediately get the answer. Uh, the captain finds her knocked out on the ground. He gets her on her feet. Before they can go anywhere, Sam Neill does the supervillain chair turn, which is, is, like, unintentionally hilarious. Like, you mentioned the swivel chair. He spins around, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, come on. I laughed out loud. Yeah, like, man, really it's hard. hilarious. And his face is now, not only has he, like, ripped out his eyes, it seems like there's other cuts and scratches in the yeah. It seems like some of them are sewn up. Now, here's my question about this. I'm pretty sure Lawrence Fishburne had to walk past that chair to get to Stark. How does he not notice Sam Neill sitting in the chair? Gory, bloody Sam Neill with no eyes and cat scratches all over his face. Well, it's dark in there. Like, the, there's not what? a lot of light left. Most dark. of the power's out. They're looking for him. Yeah. They're looking, keep an eye out for Weir, he said. Yeah, it's pretty It's pretty dark. The captain's chair swivels, so if he has it on the right angle, maybe he walks by and can't see. God damn. Now, this this was the part where I laughed out loud because he's not looking great. Lawrence Fishburne asked him what happened to his eyes, and he Sam Neill gives him the fucking back to the future. He literally says, Where we're going, we won't need eyes to see. <laughs> come on that's uh, incredible uh, <laughs> now this is this is the point where we actually find out that the ship has opened a gateway to hell like hell beyond hell it was an evil dimension i think they say uh, yeah well now according to sam neil the ship is alive and great news they're its new crew forever <laughs> <laughs> that was creepy when he said it that way yeah it was interesting seeing neil in this sort of like turned really creepy 
role. I think it, it got delivered pretty well. He did a good job. Although yeah. it starts to fall apart. Like, it's really bad for me here. This starts to become the worst part of the movie for sure. <laughs> the evil dimension shit seems just ridiculous, right? Like, I don't understand why that's what happened when you open this sort of gravitational wormhole thing. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. really track per no, se. No, I'm struggling with that. I know that that lends itself to sci-fi horror and it, it's kind of fun. But I don't know. They all have to be dead at this point, right? Like, everyone's done. It seems like it. They, they're fighting back still. Stark tries to attack him but gets quickly subdued. And before Captain Lawrence Fishburne can make a similar move, Sam Neill holds him at gunpoint with some sort of harpoon grappling gun thing. I think it was the machine that they were using. It's like a bolt gun. They were using it to repair their ship earlier. Okay. Um, so it plunges a sort of a thick spike through two pieces of metal to hold it together. But yeah. it, it becomes a weapon of choice here. Uh, he's about to open the gateway again when suddenly, in the most ridiculous turn of events that I can imagine... Cooper successfully arrives back at the ship, and he just happens to land on the exact window of the exact room that they're in. What the fuck? <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> so this had to happen, I think, to move the plot along, but you're right. This is where things start. Like I've said for the last 10 minutes, things have been going off the chains. Things have really broken down here, right? Like we're completely off the tracks. The train is derailed. Cooper shows up there, and what does Weir or uh, Sam Neill do? Oh, here? yeah. As soon as he arrives, he's gone again because Sam Neill shoots one of those fucking bolts at him, which, although it does not kill Cooper, puts a hole in the window, which causes him to be blown away from the ship by all of the air pressure escaping. So he's gone again, right? Okay. Theoretically. I have a question for you here. Shoot. This part now made me kind of mad because they blow a hole through the window, and the spaceship opens up. And, of course, it starts sucking everything out, as you would expect, I guess. Including Sam Neill. Including Sam Neill. He gets sucked out of the window. But the crew members are not experiencing any of the things that Justin experienced when the hatch opened to pull him out into space. That's a great fucking point. Yeah, none of them were bleeding from the eyeballs, nothing. You're right. No, they're not experiencing any of the things you'd experience if you lost sort of that pressure and you were starting to be pulled into the vacuum. In fact, they're so strong, they're able to, like, pull themselves along a cable and out of that room to safety. Yeah, yo, Fishburne pulls himself and he even manages to save Stark. And amazingly, somehow... Cooper is alive too, and he makes it to the front airlock, which fucking how? So, how? This is all bullshit. First of all, yeah. first of all, I'm mad enough. They teased us with a scat man. Yes. He, he came they all did. the way back. He Ugh. came back, and I was like, he came back just to die. Perfect. We hit the scat man, fucking nailed it. But no, he's alive still. So, no scat man, and he makes it back. How? He got blown away from the ship twice. And he had to blow his air canister to get back the first time. How did he get back the second time? It's bullshit. Yeah. It is interesting that you bring up scat man because the director, Anderson, when he went to sell this movie, he pitched it as The Shining in Space. You know what? I see it. I see the parallels in a lot of ways. I thought the movie should have ended here. So oh, I, interesting. I thought when they shot out the window and Weir gets sucked out to space, I think they should have got sucked out too, and it should have just ended. It's like, a draw. It's just a draw. Yeah. Like, everyone's gone. <laughs> yeah. It's over. The ship's still there. Hopefully, people don't fucking go deal with it again. But, like, it's there, and there's... there's potential problems but i thought it should have ended in that with cooper maybe just floating away or whatever it's weird there's kind of like era specific endings so the way that people were willing to have a movie end at different kind of generations and times quentin tarantino talks a lot about this like in the 70s there were a lot of movies with dark endings right and that would have fit there perfectly the 80s complete opposite every ending is a happy ending everything ends the way it's supposed to 90s you know you get a little bit of both kind of a mixed bag but like i think i would enjoy this movie more if it was in fact what you had said and if it ended that way like i'm good with that because it would have played into all the mythology they've already created about how like every rescue of this sort has ended in catastrophic failure for both ships it's never been done. Like, that, yeah. in a way, would make more sense. If it was true sort of sci-fi horror to me, I, I really wanted them all to go out in that way. It's not really having the ship win, but it's having it be unresolved in an unpleasant way. I, I don't like that we're continuing past here, yeah. and, it, and it seems like the crew has a chance to survive and win. Well, they have a chance, but they are not out of the woods yet. Uh, the gateway opening process apparently can't be stopped, so they're going to have to blow the ship in half using this explosive mentioned earlier. As they race to do this before the gateway opens, a lot of blood starts showing up. It's pouring out of the walls. It's in a giant tank, which bursts open. Shining reference also. It yeah. is a direct shining reference sure. for sure. Uh, this is all an illusion, much like the flaming crew member who appears just as Lawrence Fishburne arms the explosives and action hero dives through a closing hatch to safety? Maybe, maybe so not. He, he's not dead, right? He, he, he dives to safety. 
But instead of going to the side of the ship that they hope to escape in, he goes to the side with that gravity engine, which is going to transport him basically to hell. Yeah, well, he gets knocked down into the core in that section you're talking about. But he realizes this isn't real. What he's seeing is not that crewman who died so long ago. And he's right, apparently, because the the vision he's seeing transforms into a naked, hairless Sam Neill who shows him the horrors of reality, which is basically a bunch of gory images, and again says the ship won't let them live. Now we get a fist fight between the two of them. Naked Sam Neill, who, did you notice, he's wearing a cod piece. <laughs> Didn't notice. Oh, I, I, like, I froze the frame and everything. He's, <laughs> Sam Neill is not hanging dong, not in this movie. He's wearing a cod piece. He's like a Ken doll out there. Uh, he knocks down Fishburne. He thinks he's got this whole thing all wrapped up. He starts taunting him by saying, Do you see? But Fishburne gets the last laugh. He says, yes, I see, as he activates the explosives, which blows the back of the ship apart and sends Stark, Cooper, and the front of the ship on their way home. I don't think that that part of the ship explodes, right? Well, I think, of course it does. I don't think so. I think the gravitational like engine part of the ship, like the middle of the ship explodes, which separates the two, and the one half kind of goes back to safety. I think the other ports to this evil fucking place. I mean, I guess the ending of this movie, which we're about to get to, would maybe lend some credence to that because you get the impression that this thing is still out there causing mayhem of some kind. Uh, 72 days later, we wrap this thing up. A rescue ship makes contact with what is left of the event horizon and prepares to board. When they do, they find Cooper Stark and Mr. Justin somehow still alive in the gravity tanks. How that fucker is still alive, I have no idea. Yeah, and what kind of life is that guy going to have? No eyes, all of his veins are out of his body. And Horrific PTSD. Yeah, 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 like the worst. One of the rescue team opens Stark's tank, tells her that she's safe and the other crew members are fine. They're with us, he says, and we get one more quick scare as the guy from the rescue team flips open his helmet to reveal Sam Neill. Yes. But it's just a hallucination. Some of that standard disorientation from the gravity tank, no doubt. And they appear to actually be safe. Or are they? I know it does leave it open, right? Are they Are they bringing part of that evilness back to the, the sort of Earth or other planets? I don't know. Are they still, are the hallucinations like permanent? Like, I don't know. But you know what? We'll never know. Uh, because a hatch door closing takes us to the credits, which feature, I wrote that Prodigy-esque late 90s electronic. Is it actually Prodigy? I, I think it's Prodigy, yes. Could I think be. it's Prodigy. Which song. does not fit the tone of everything that we just saw at all. <laughs> this is not music for this kind of movie. Yeah, it's too industrial, right? Like, it it didn't seem like the mood-setting horror that yeah. uh, we had just experienced. What a weird choice for us to go out on here. Yeah, I. so the reason I, I looked up and read more is I wanted to know if there was another ending. Like, I really felt like something else should have happened after the scene in the, like, captain's quarters or the, yeah. the sort of bridge area of the ship. Um, and I didn't find that information. I know that there were a lot of scenes that were taken out to make it more palatable for a um, sort of regular audience. Um, but I, I would have been interested to see sort of the original ideas or if the director had been able to go with what they wanted. Well, again, I, if, I feel like if Shout Factory couldn't find this footage, it doesn't exist because they are normally so thorough with their releases. So, yeah, it's not out there for us to see. Yeah. Well, that's it. Uh, we've reached the end of this movie and it is time to rate it as we normally do. The way this works, we rate it on a scale of one to ten. We do it two times, one to ten for how bad it is, one to ten for how enjoyable it is. And the ultimate goal is to find a movie that is 10 out of 10 on both scales, or as we call it, the Crit 20. And I'm going to start. Uh, I did not think this movie was that bad. I don't even think it's a bad movie. Like, I was pretty into it. Like, the end, it falls apart at the end. Let's let's call a spade a spade. Mm -hmm. It's chugging along well, and then with about 15 minutes to go, shit starts getting ridiculous. But overall, for badness, I have this as a 3. Holy crap. I actually feel like this movie might be too good to be on our podcast. Again, it bombed at the box office, hence why we looked at it. But overall, like, it's a pretty effective, like, sci-fi horror movie. I was really captivated by a lot of it. Very creepy. They did a good job with the atmosphere. I don't think it's that bad. I'm only giving it a three. What do you think? I felt that way halfway through, two-thirds of the way through. Yep. I was like, this isn't a bad movie. I'm enjoying it. Um, I'm liking where we're going. The... Last 20 minutes of the movie just really fucked it for me. I, I hated the choices. I hated where they went. Um, I didn't like that they didn't all die. I didn't like I, it just most of them do. Most of them do. Most of them do. But I didn't like that rescue at the end. To me, the ending pushed me up to a six. So it, that's still not that bad. It's not horrible. Like it still fits into a bad movie rating scale for me. It's still there. 
I, I would love to see a different cut of it. I would oh, love, me too. I'd I, love I, to I, have yeah. a conversation with Anderson, uh, the director, or I'd love to see, like, I know that this now probably has a cult following. Like, I think there's oh, a lot of people time. who yeah. really, really, really Dude, like this Dude, this, this Blu-ray was fucking sold out. Like, I had to wait forever. Now, we live in Canada, too, so to be fair, that kind of Shout Factory releases are delayed here. But in general, I had to wait, like, months to get to this get a thing. hold of it. Months so, after it came out in the States. Now, sure. now, I have to ask, how enjoyable did you find it on a scale of 1 to 10? Yeah, um... So I thought it was tense. I felt like there were some good scary moments. I felt the acting sets sound were all quite good, right? I, I enjoyed those parts of it. Um, the ending again really drew it back for me, both within, they had affected both my bad rating and my enjoyability rating. Sure. Um, so I, I ended up landing on a seven for enjoyability. Okay, see, I have it as a nine. This wow. clearly, clearly the bad shit. things that affected you in this movie did not affect me as much. Like, I was less upset and disappointed. The ending is ridiculous. The The last few series of events, we just talked about it. They're fucking absurd. A lot of problems there in terms of, like, making it believable and, like, whatever. But I still, like, start to finish, I enjoyed myself. Like, I will definitely watch this again. Would you watch this again? This was my second time watching it. Yeah. So, but I, I would not Gonna take go it for off the, hat the table. Trick? I okay. would watch it again. Yeah. yeah. Um. I I would like to watch the sort of cutout scenes and other stuff too. I wish there was a release that included those, like that it was one. You can oh. watch them on the Blu-ray as a separate. Separate, yeah. You entity, want like an edited version, but with, I want an edited yeah. version that sort of has it all in there to kind of come together. But I'd watch it again. How about the beer this week? Here's the problem. I don't like root beer, so like a that, that it's just like it strikes one, two, and three right there. Like this beer has a very strong root beer taste to it. If you like root beer, you will probably enjoy this beer very much. I do not like root beer. Therefore, like everything about this, I am just against. It's not for me. This is not a beer for me. <laughs> it's interesting. Um, the Cesperilla definitely plays a prominent role in the flavor profile of the beer. Uh, it hits you like immediately with kind of the sweet root beer flavors. And then as it sort of sits and you swallow, you kind of get a depth of root beer flavor as it goes down. I also noticed some pretty nice sort of coffee and chocolate flavors that are a part of their stout um, that sort of hit later in the sort of drinking or flavor profile. I really enjoyed it, but I do love both root beer and stout. So it's sort of a good connection for me. I've had some good stouts, and you know what? Like, I've had a couple of Halo beers I like. Again, they tend to cater to the more, like, IPA-heavy crowd. Not really my thing. I love their pale ale. It's called Magic Missile. A little D&D reference I've for us. I've had Magic Missile. Uh, Magic Missile's pretty good. For me, it is just one of the best sort of aromatic, citrusy, fruity uh, pale ales. So I love that. Their New Wave IPA, I also really enjoy as well. So definitely check out Halo Brewery. Well, there you go. Um, and that's going to pretty much do it for this week. Next week, though... We're watching a little movie called Hell Comes to Frogtown. <laughs> that sounds amazing. What yeah. is Frogtown? I don't really know. Never seen it before. But what I will tell you is the movie stars professional wrestler Rowdy Roddy Piper. <laughs> uh, and is I he believe the whole time this is going. Oh be my great. god! I, I hope, hope so, so. But yeah. I don't know. Oh. I, I believe the movie takes place in some sort of like a post-apocalyptic thing with like mutants that look like frogs. And I believe he may have to like his way out of trouble i'm not really sure i think it's like there's a there's a heavy sex element so the whole thing sounds ridiculous uh it's a vinegar syndrome blu-ray release which i fucking love what they do i'm looking forward to that yeah if you have not already please follow us on social media at the bmb podcast on twitter and instagram Uh, if you'd like to send us any suggestions you can sort of slide into the dms on our instagram and twitter or you can send us an email at the bmb podcast at gmail.com we'll be back next week but until then i'm cooper and i'm nolan and we'll see you next time on bad movies and beer keep it weary did we ever say that his name was (laughs) infinite space infinite terror 